Well, today we want to uh, continue in our study of the uh, book of Acts. We're in the 15th chapter. Uh, we uh, uh, were camped out here, and as we said last week, this is a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. It's a pivotal chapter. It explains a lot of things uh, about uh, the, uh, the, the congregations of the first century. It explains a lot about... Um, it helps us, I think, in a lot of ways to understand uh, what Paul was uh, writing about in a lot of his letters. It gives us, uh, I think, some real uh, understanding. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, we said last time that it is actually at the, almost right in the middle of Acts. You know, if you add up, of course, I read this in a book. I didn't actually do this. If you add up all the words uh, before chapter 15 and you add up all the words after chapter 15, it's almost exactly right in the center uh, of, uh, of what's in the book of Acts. It's also the last time we're going to hear from Peter. Isn't that kind of interesting? The last time here in Acts chapter 15. Uh, and also the thrust of the book changes a little bit. It really, after chapter 15, it really becomes pretty much uh, about uh, Paul and his travels and, uh, you know, in his speeches and, and so on. Uh, so that's also, uh, 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 you know, rather interesting uh, about it. The issue was, is that so many uh, uh, Gentiles, uh, people from the nations, were becoming believers, right? That, uh, and this was something new and completely different, that questions arose uh, uh, about it. Uh, and so this takes place in Antioch. It begins, chapter 15 begins in Antioch. There's a congregation there. And, uh, and uh, it was an amazing thing that many, many people were coming to faith in Antioch, of uh, both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and, and so uh, some Pharisees from Jerusalem who came to faith in the Messiah had, uh, uh, they came they weren't asking a question, they basically came saying something. And it's in, the, it's in the beginning. It says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, now, we said last time that this would have been a natural thing to think. This would have been a natural thing to say. Uh, and without repeating everything from uh, uh, last time... I, at this particular period of time, believing in Yeshua was a, Jewish under, was a Jewish thing to do. And these congregations were really known as, um, uh, as Jewish, you know, Jewish places, we, we might say, even in these other cities. But very quickly, many, many, many uh, uh, Gentiles became believers. And the question became... Well, what do we do? Is it, is it the way it's always been? Do, do they just become proselytes of, of Israel? Uh, and, uh, and this raised uh, you know, a, lot of, uh, a lot of questions. Notice the terminology that's used. Like in verse 2, and it says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, uh, they decided they better go to Jerusalem about this issue. 
that they could not decide it there in Antioch. But dissension and debate, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can only imagine uh, the passions uh, that would have been kindled, uh, you know, would have been kindled in that. So they come to Jerusalem, right? And, uh, uh, and so it gets repeated in verse 5. Uh, but certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. They were not saying this to be troublemakers. They were saying this because this is what we do, you, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so then it says, and the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. And then you'll notice in verse 7, it says, again, we have the word debate, right? There had been much debate. And then, uh, as we said last time, Peter gets up and talks about the situation with Cornelius and about how uh, God had given him a vision. He had visitors. He had testimony. The Spirit of God spoke to his heart uh, that he should go to the Gentiles and freely give them uh, the good news of the Messiah. And uh, then Paul and Barnabas chime in about their experiences uh, as well of Gentiles coming to believe uh, and how wonderful this is and how we don't want to hinder the work of God in any way, right? And, uh, and so uh, James hears all of this testimony, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and then uh, we read uh, here in verse uh, 13, it says, and after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. And James was the authority uh, at this period of time. Uh, he really was. He, he, he was the leader of the uh, congregation uh, at Jerusalem. Uh, and it is quite interesting that, you know, the, uh, that everybody listened uh, to James. He was really a very uh, powerful person at this juncture uh, in history. Simeon, Shimon, and that's kind of interesting. He doesn't call him Peter, right? It just tells you the, uh, the Jewish context of the entire event, okay? Shimon has related how God concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and fornication and what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues uh, every Sabbath. 
Okay? All right, we'll stop. Actually, we're going to read a little further. Uh, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole congregation to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called uh, Barsabbas, uh, and Silas, leading men of the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. And we need to read this letter because it helps us to understand what comes earlier. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay hands, uh, uh, to lay upon you, I'm sorry, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Okay. So first, James answers. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and he really spoke with authority. I mean, he says, listen to me. Right? And then uh, he reiterates what Peter has said. Shimon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. It just goes to show you how, uh, how breathtaking the Cornelius event was. How it really was a turning point there in Acts chapter 10 uh, of the expansion of the good news uh, to the Gentiles. Okay? And then he says this, and with this the words of the prophets agree. Now this is kind of important because what he's basically saying is, with this, the Bible agrees. With this, the Tanakh agrees. Because he just uses the plural prophets. The prophets agree, right? Uh, speaking of different prophets. And you can think about uh, a variety of, uh, of prophets. Like, for example, uh, in uh, Zechariah chapter 2. This is actually kind of important. In 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst. I, I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord has sent me, has sent me to you. Uh, and, uh, and so there we see many nations will join themselves uh, to the Lord, you know, in that, uh, in that day, okay, and become my people. Then in chapter 8, uh, speaking of Zechariah, uh, in uh, verse 22, it says, So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord, 
of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard uh, that God is with you. And then if you go back to, uh, for example, Isaiah uh, in uh, chapter 2, you know, we read uh, these words. I, uh, now it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the Lord will be established as a chief of the mountains and it will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Uh, and many peoples uh, will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of, uh, to the, mountain of the Lord. Right? And then there are other places just one last one. I mean, there's tons of them, right? That's why he says the prophets, right, uh, have said. The other, another one that just stands out uh, is not so much about the nations coming to Jerusalem, but speaking of the suffering servant, uh, we read this in Isaiah 49 and verse 6. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends, uh, to the ends of the earth. And I guess uh, I'm going to read one more, and that's in Jeremiah chapter 12. Uh, it says uh, here, beginning uh, in verse 15, and it will come about after that, after that I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. Then it will come about that if they will really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be built up in the midst of my people. And uh, so clearly... There's lots, of, lot, there's lots and lots of verses, right, uh, that uh, talk about the inclusion of, of the nations. And so in Acts 15, when James says uh, that this is in accordance with the prophets, it's really quite an important thing. He's saying, we get it. You know, we get it. The hard part, as we've been saying, as we always say, and as we'll see again here, is we understand that, okay, the Gentiles can come in, but, you know, the mystery of the kingdom is, is that there is this long period of time in the coming of the Messiah, uh, in the two appearances, physical appearances in the coming of, uh, of, of the Messiah. And the fact uh, that the Olam Haba, the world to come, begins in the midst of this darkened world and that, and that the light the invisible kingdom of God with Yeshua as king is uh, in the midst of this world. That's the part that, uh, you know, the, the really, the, the hard part to figure out. The Pharisees uh, that had come to believe weren't saying Gentiles, this is not for Gentiles. They, they never said that. But, but we know how it is when Gentiles come into a Jewish understanding of the God of Israel they have to engage in a certain way. And that is really what the question uh, is. Okay? Now, uh, uh, James is going to say something else here now. 
he's going to single out one of the prophets. He's going to single out uh, Amos, uh, chapter 9. He's going to single out Amos, uh, uh, chapter 9. Uh, and he's going to uh, quote it from the Greek translation. So it's not exactly as you have it in your English translation in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. You know, in a few months, we'll be hearing this passage again uh, because Ellie Gerstein will be having her bat mitzvah, and this is actually her haftorah portion. Uh, so that's kind of neat. Uh, but anyway, so James says here, in, as we read it in Acts 15, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles uh, who are called by my who are called by my name. All right. So I, I, if you go back here to Amos, right, I, beginning uh, here in uh, verse uh, eleven. It says, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old. What that is referring to is the restoration of the Davidic dynasty, the restoration of the kingdom of David. That's what it is referring to. It's not talking really about like the resurrection per se. Some people have said that. But it's talking about the restoration of David's dynasty of the kingship of, of, uh, of David, which we know is the kingship of, of God. Uh, and we know from the Gospel of Luke, who also wrote Acts, right, in chapter 1, that Yeshua is defined as the king of Israel who will sit on his throne forever, uh, as the angel Gabriel tells Miriam in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So the kingdom of Israel is going to be rebuilt. Uh, and we know from earlier passages, the informing theology, we might say here, is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, about how the dynasty of David would last forever. And we know that it was interrupted because of captivity and sin. Uh, but we know indeed uh, that it will, uh, be, uh, it will be rebuilt. In fact, in uh, another prophet, uh, Hosea, in the prophet uh, Hosea, in uh, uh, chapter 3, we read here uh, in verse 4, For the sons of Israel will remain many days without king, without prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod and without household idols. Afterwards, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. We also, in the passages we read uh, about the Lord sitting on his throne, it's talking about the restored Davidic dynasty with King Messiah uh, sitting on the throne. Okay, so he quotes that. The reason that James quotes this, though, has much to do with the next verse, where it says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So clearly, uh, what it says here in the Masoretic text, in the English translation that you have, 
is that the dynasty of David is going to be rebuilt and it will include people. And it's very interesting that it says Edom because Edom was like an enemy. You know, it wasn't like a uh, just, uh, you know, it wasn't like saying like Canadians or something. You know what I'm saying? It was, it's like, uh, you know, an enemy of, 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 uh, of Israel. And so it's making the point that even if the Edomites are included, boy, you know, that's what you call inclusion, right? Uh, and uh, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all of the peoples who are called by my name, declares the Lord. And James understands that that is talking about now. It is talking about that Yeshua is indeed the king and that nations, are, the Gentiles, are coming, just like the prophets say. Of course, this passage is not addressing the fact that the day will come when, the, when Yeshua will physically sit on a throne in the city of Jerusalem and all of that. He's not addressing that. He's saying that this is beginning to happen and that it is right that Gentiles come, Right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and so it's very, you know, very, very important. Uh, okay, then he says this. So given that fact, given that there is this inclusion of the nations, James now understands uh, that this is a new thing happening. That it isn't just simply the way it's always been. It isn't just simply the, uh, you know, Gentiles are becoming proselytes. This is a whole, this is a, a different category altogether. Okay, that they're not becoming Jewish proselytes. That they are uh, being included in this, in this uh, a community of Messiah followers. And so... Things are different. They're not pagans anymore, but they're not Jews. They're not becoming Jews, but they're not pagans anymore. So the question is, so then what, how do we relate to them and how do they relate to us? Okay? So he says, therefore it is my judgment. In other words, because of what he has just read. It is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the nations, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. In verse 17 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, this I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the pagans. That would be, you know, as the pagans also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. They become callous. And, and then he goes on, you know, to talk about the, the renewal of the self. And what does he say in verse 25? When he says, in verse 24, when he says, put on the new self, he doesn't say, don't drink blood and, and you know, and keep the dietary laws of Israel. He says, love your neighbor 
uh, as yourself, right? Uh, he says, um, oh, I'm sorry, he says um, here, he says, in the likeness of God created righteousness and holiness and the truth, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry, don't sin. Uh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And he ends this section with this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God and Messiah has forgiven you. Walk in love uh, and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. That's overwhelmingly what he talks about, right? And so I would suggest here in Acts chapter 15, what he's saying to these people who were no longer pagans, but not Jews, he's saying, don't, don't engage in idolatrous, idolatrous practices. Okay, that's all we're going to, you know, you have, to, you have to quit those things. Because when he says, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. And then when it says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole congregation, in other words, he's saying basically two things. He's saying idolatrous practices are wrong, period, right? You don't want to do them. But clearly, uh, you don't want to uh, do anything that uh, uh, is, going to, uh, is going to damage the witness of, uh, of the Messiah of Israel coming. Now, it could be inclusive of you, you know, uh, certain of the dietary laws. But I don't think that his main focus is table fellowship in, uh, there in Acts 15. But it's you former, you know, your former pagans, don't practice pagan things because that will just cause the, the Jewish community around you to understand this as a pagan belief. As a pagan belief, not just an affront, we don't like what you're eating, but it would be understood as a pagan belief, right? So we don't live in the first century anymore. This was, of course, we see this clearly in the context here of uh, Gentiles do not need to become Jews, okay? We're not going to trouble them. They don't have to become like us, but they got to quit doing the pagan things, uh, because it would be a bad testimony. Because it would be a bad testimony. And that seemed to... Everybody seemed to understand that. Everybody seemed to understand that. Uh, and, uh, and then clearly in verse 29, when he, you know, he says, you abstain from these sacrifices to idols and blood and strangling and from fornication. Uh, I would suggest they're sort of like all part of one thing. You know, for four descriptions of one thing, not four isolated, like a list of four things, but that it is one thing. Don't live like pagans anymore. Uh, and, you know, it is kind of interesting in Leviticus 17 and 18, where in chapter 17 it talks about don't eat blood, and in chapter 18 it talks about, uh, you know, uh, fornication. What's interesting is that right in between that, in the beginning of chapter 18 uh, of Leviticus, it says, don't, be like the Egypt don't live like the Egyptians where you come from, and don't be like the Canaanites where you're going. Live my way. 
Live a holy life, right? And then that continues into Leviticus chapter 19, where he says, you shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. And then he goes on to list all of these first laws of approaching God and of bringing sacrifice. And then all of the love your neighbor as yourself illustrations. And, you know, and that seems uh, very clear that you know, what James is talking about is don't live like the Egyptians and don't live like, don't live like Canaanites, don't live like Ephesians, don't live like Colossians in the sense of, of their worship, in the sense of idolatry. And what he's saying to them, you know, you have now come under the kingship, right? The, the tabernacle of David has been rebuilt. You've come under the kingship of the God of Israel. And so there are boundaries. There are boundaries, but we're not asking you to take upon yourself what God has called Israel to do. Okay? Very, very important. And, and I would suggest that the, take, the big takeaway for us in, in, in this is that because we, we are so far removed from this social situation. We live in, in, in an entirely different world, but the principle is the same. The principle is that we need to be a good testimony to the people around us of the uniqueness of knowing the Lord and not engaging in practices that, that would taint the testimony of Messiah. And so we all need to think in those terms. You know, what, what do we do that taints the testimony uh, of, of, uh, you know, of, of the Messiah in the way we live. But then communally a takeaway is that for us, we are kind of sensitive to this passage because we're a Messianic Jewish congregation. We're an ethnic uh, a Jewish a congregation composed of lots of people that are not Jewish and, and uh, a, a Jewish people. And we have a particular testimony. And our particular our our particular number one testimony is to the Jewish community. And we don't want the Jewish community to look at Beth Messiah and say, look, you see how pagan it is? You see how not Jewish it is? So we have a particular way of applying this text in our Messianic Jewish uh, environment. We don't uh, teach at Beth Messiah that all Gentiles need to obey all of the, uh, you know, all of the rituals of Judaism, the, the rituals of the Jewish people, whether we're talking about the biblical, uh, you know, like the dietary laws, or we're talking about the rabbinic uh, understanding of things, right? And we talk here about the Torah way of life, right? Which is basically the way we treat one another, ethics and morals. However, as a community, in our visible community, we do, because we're an ethnic Jewish congregation, we do uh, uh, ask all of our people here uh, that we, uh, whether it comes to symbolism or food that we eat, in our world, you know, we're not too concerned about sacrificing animals on pagan altars and drinking blood, okay? We're not really that... I don't know about you, but I don't wake up on Shabbat morning saying, I hope nobody drinks blood today at Beth Messiah. You know what I mean? That's not really the concern. That, of course, when we meet in person, 
that I, the, the concern is, are we a kind of testimony that if a Jewish person came, they say, oh, I see that believing in Yeshua is something Jewish, right? So we live in a different social situation. We live in a different context, but the principle remains the same. Don't make people stumble who are uh, the people you want to understand who Yeshua is, right? Uh, and so that means deference on everybody's part. Deference on everybody's part. That the, you know, one thing that we don't read about too much in the book of Acts or anywhere is what was the attitude of the Jewish believers? You know, what was the, the rank and file Jewish believers? Well, we, what we can infer is, is that they lived Jewishly, that, but now embracing the Messiah of Israel. But think about this. Uh, here you have people, a great influx of non-Jews, of people from the nations. The Jewish believers had to show some real deference to them, say, saying to them, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. And by the same token, the, the people from the nations had to show deference to the uh, Jewish Messiah followers as well in getting along and in, in how they, uh, and how they interacted uh, with each other and to make sure that no one treated anybody like a second-class uh, citizen. That was... Paul's issue with Peter, when you read uh, in, in the book of Galatians, right? Uh, you know, very, very, uh, very important. Now, you know, we are such a very small slice of the pie at Beth Messiah. In the large, uh, you know, in the millions of Messiah followers and, and congregations, a takeaway there, you know, is, is don't assume that Jewish believers are not Jewish anymore, or that uh, to live Jewishly is somehow not trusting, you know, in the Messiah uh, and, and that kind of thing. And to allow people to be who they are ethnically as long as we're not engaging in pagan practices. Or, and I'll just say, as in addition, things that take away from the testimony of whomever you're trying to be a testimony to in the Messiah very important, that uh, it's not about my rights, it's not about my privileges, it's about how can I be that kind of testimony. And that is what everybody, uh, and that is what they understood, and that is uh, what they communicated to uh, these, uh, these uh, congregations. And, uh, and so I think what we're going to do is I'm just going to stop here and uh, next time we're going to finish chapter 15 and then move right into chapter 16 because there's some other issues at the very end of chapter 15 that we need to learn. But one of the, I would say that the, one of the main takeaways for us is, boy, in the early days in the uh, uh, congregations that were really thriving, there was a real concern that I, um, for the testimony... And clearly the testimony among uh, Jews, that's why uh, we read, you know, in verse uh, 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath. There was a real concern for that testimony and a real concern that the, that the Jewish believers don't lay upon a Gentile believers what God has called, how God has called Israel to live, yet at the same time, the people from the nations needed to live in such a way 
that certainly uh, glorified God, no pagan practices, uh, and served as a testimony to Israel. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and just those last words of, uh, you know, of Paul in, um, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when he is indeed addressing the issue of food sacrifice to idols, he says there, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, make anyone stumble. Take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow becomes a stumbling block uh, uh, to uh, the weak. And so let us be people who have, are of the same mind. Uh, as it says in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, when he says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And it seems that is what James was striving for, uh, really, at the same time as saying to these you know, people, don't engage in, in things that are not godly. But the real motivation uh, was deference toward one another, that we don't trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. So let's pray. Uh, Lord uh, God, um, I just pray, God, that we would have that same kind of attitude uh, as we do, Lord, t- toward one another. Uh, God, that uh, we, uh, that from the, I'm sure from the point of view of those new Gentile believers, they, they most likely did not view what they were doing as something horrible and bad. It's just, just how they approached, how they did worship or, or how they lived their lives. But uh, here, uh, God, uh, coming under the kingship of Israel, uh, especially in those days, uh, and in the makeup of these congregations, and in that context, uh, the great concern about being a good testimony to those who are hearing Moses preached every week. And God, I pray that we would have that same kind of, show that same kind of deference and concern uh, in our community where Moses is being preached every week. Uh, Lord, that we would be a good, uh, a good testimony. Perhaps uh, not so much in having to tell ourselves not to engage in pagan practices, but not to uh, publicly, of course, as a community, engage in things that would be viewed by the Jewish community as something uh, very foreign and pagan and, and, and not of you. We, we so, so much want to be the right kind of testimony to our people that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah of Israel. And uh, God, we thank you uh, as we read this narrative of how... Uh, uh, our forefathers of the faith uh, dealt with concerns. Thank you for the due process. Thank you that they took it to Jerusalem. Thank you that they listened to the authority. Thank you that uh, they listened to what James had to say. Uh, and, uh, 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 you know, uh, and that they were able to rejoice and move forward from there. And so, God, we thank you that they, they didn't split apart. We thank you that they remained one together. Uh, and we thank you all for all of it in Messiah's name. Amen.